Thank you for listening to the Modesto Foursquare podcast. We hope that this message encourages and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Please know that you can always join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 510 Bernie Street in Modesto. You can also find more information on our website at ModestoFoursquare.com. All right. This morning, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. If you want to kind of get there, we're not going to be there right away. Luke. Luke chapter 18. I can hear people asking. Luke chapter 18. Um, all right. So we've spent seven or eight weeks talking about getting real, right? The series has been Let's Get Real. And we've talked about um, some of the basics of our Christian walk, right? We've talked about serving and giving and prayer and the Bible and community and rest. Um, and Tyler said we were done last week. And I said... We're not done last week because I had to fill in one more week here. And so um, I'm going to finish our series for real this time, pun, with something that isn't very practical. I mean, it has some practical applications, um, but I think that it's crucial to making any of the other topics work, okay? And so my title for today is Let's Get Real with Getting Real. Because sometimes I wonder, what does it even mean to be real? Um, There's a lot of talk in our culture about being authentic these days. Um, Especially, I think, in the age of social media. Now, not everybody in here is like tech savvy or on on the internet that much, but if, if any of us have online accounts that we use with some sort of regularity, we know that there's a lot of fake people online, right? Um, there are a lot of people who will only show the highlights or the good things in life. And then there's also some people who will only show the ugly stuff, right? Like people who just complain or like go around trying to stir up conflict, like um, the trolls of the internet. Uh, so there's kind of this glorification, I think, of ideal picturesque sort of moments. Um, and then there's also a glorification of, uh, messy hair don't care. Like, I just, I just am who I am. No filter. This is who I am kind of life. But I think that when we look at both sides of those things, there's still a curation of our image, right? Um, there's still a kind of pretense and performance that I think is happening on the internet, but even more, I think it happens in our everyday lives. So even when I post or I interact online, sometimes I struggle to be who I truly am, and sometimes I struggle to even know who I really am. Has anybody ever kind of wondered, who am I? Who did God make me to be? We all struggle with identity. I think it's the big human question, who am I? Um, And some of us know and live that out, and it's harder for others of us. 
So what does it mean to be real anyway? I grew up loving words. I, I loved Bible verses. I loved song lyrics. I loved quotes from famous people and quotes from not famous people. And so one of the quotes that I had pinned up on a bulletin board in my bedroom as a child was this quote from Judy Garland. And it's it. she said, always be a fir- first. Sorry, I'm going to take a deep breath. Always be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of someone else. But we imitate people that we look up to, right? So sometimes it can be hard to figure out, well, who am I supposed to be? And so that's the problem with that quote. Sometimes we don't always know who that first-rate version of of yourself is. I try to be authentic and real and genuine and sincere. Um, But I don't always know what that means. So I read something recently that was from a 16th century Catholic priest from Spain. His name is John of the Cross. And he's pretty well known for writing this kind of uh, dark, dark book called Dark Night of the Soul. So he went through some depression and some different moments in his life that were very dark and recognized that God was still with him in those moments. So John of the Cross wrote Dark Night of the Soul. But I read something that he said recently. He didn't say it recently. I read it recently, right? He was dead in the 1500s. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes we can turn significance into an idol. I've done that. I've done that. Um, there are books all over the place, even Christian ones that are about this. Has anybody read this is a book from a, several, like a couple decades ago, I think, but The Search for Significance um, is a Christian book about us having significance in the Lord. But the self-help industry is booming. We want to be ourselves. And we want to be significant. And I admit it. I have searched. I've searched high and low for those, my top strengths or taken all the personality quizzes and wanted to find myself hoping that some kind of book or podcast or activity is going to help me find the key to being who I was made to be. I don't know if anybody else has done that. Um, So if you're anything like me or most of American culture, I would say that we have sort of a, an obsession with making progress and improvement. We want to get better and better. But I've realized that that's sort of a false idea, getting better and better all the time, right? Um, one of the ways I find myself motivated to jog Anybody jog here in the room? Do we have any marathon runners in here? No? Nobody else is is running. Walkers. We have walkers. Yeah. I am not a marathon runner. I am a 5K runner. Um, That's about as far as I can go. Maybe. Maybe I'll get to a longer, longer runs than that. But... One of the ways that I can even run 30 seconds is by having a coach in my ears. There's some apps where there's like a coach who will kind of yell at you or tell you you're doing great. Um, So that helps me be able to keep going because I have a coach in my ear saying, you're doing awesome. Just stepping out your front door was so great today. You started. 
Um, so that's what I need. But I had a coach in my ear the other day while I was taking a jog and the coach said, we run to become a more elite version of ourselves. And I thought a more elite version of me. Um, and that coach said it with the caveat that there are different ways to measure, right? Not a faster pace isn't always possible, right? Sometimes we get injured. Sometimes we have issues. And so he was encouraging anybody listening <laughs> to um, measure in different ways, not just pace or distance, um, because we all have limitations, but I don't think it's possible for us to always, if we measure the same way every time, we're not going to be faster and faster every single day. We're not going to get better and better every single day. We have limits. And that was kind of what Tyler talked about last week on Sabbath and rest, right? We serve a, a limitless God. There is no end to him, but we ourselves have human limits, so this isn't another teaching on rest and work. But I think about all of these kind of cliche phrases we have. Dreams don't work unless you do. Have you heard that one? A dream doesn't work unless you do. Or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or fake it until you make it. Um... In Sabbath, in rest, we can choose to quiet all of the noise outside of us, okay? We can stop all work. But I wonder, when does our inner chatter stop? What are, where does that search for significance or identity or finding our true selves, where does that stop? Where do the expectations of other people or the expectations we place on ourselves, when does that stop? Sometimes we can stop on a Sabbath, take a true rest, turn off our phones, do whatever we need to do to quiet the noise outside. And then we come face to face with the noise inside. And that can be a scary place for some of us, at least for me, that quiet place but actually, there's a lot of noise up here. So my question for us today is, can you remember the last time that you let yourself feel anything and everything? Can you remember the last time that you didn't perform at all? That you didn't put on airs with yourself or with other people or even with Jesus? Can you remember the last time that you didn't curate an image of yourself in your life? And I realize that this message may not be for everybody, but I have a feeling there are some of us in this room who can become a little bit insincere with who we are sometimes because we want to be seen in a certain way. Or maybe we can become over-spiritual. Everything is good. I just have to be grateful because look at all God has given me. But inside, we may be wrestling or doubting or fearing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a positive outlook. I realized this week, Tyler's going to be gone for four nights. If I'm complaining in advance, it's going to be a bad week. <laughs> 
if I'm already dreading it and talking about how bad it's going to be, it's going to be bad. So there's something to say for having a good attitude and being grateful. It has the ability to change us from the inside out. Sometimes we can um, believe the right things, the true things, and then they come about in our lives, right? Focusing on what we have instead of what we don't have really can improve our mood. It really can improve our lives. But I want to challenge us to question whether we've been honest and open and sincere with Jesus. He's the only safe place. All of us run into each other sometimes. We scrape each other up. My kids run in circles around the house and they bonk their heads together. Literally, but also metaphorically, we hurt each other. And Jesus is the only safe place. And I think sometimes we put on him something that is not true. We put on him our own human experience and forget that he's safe. Or we think that he wants something of us that isn't, that isn't true. Um, do we feel safe enough to pull off all the masks with Jesus? Do we let him into every area of our hearts? Do we let him into our past and our present and our future? Because sometimes I think, I'll speak for myself, I mistakenly believe that because I've been a Christian for X number of years, all I should do is be grateful and positive. Or hashtag blessed, right? Or because I've served in X number of ministries or been on X number of mission trips that I should have arrived by now. But even the Apostle Paul did not think this was possible. He wrote in Philippians 3, 12 through 13. We studied this not too long ago. He wrote, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." Paul had not arrived. And the longer he wrote, we don't have them in chronological order in our Bibles. I don't know why we don't put them in chronological order. They seem to be organized by length. Like Paul's longest letter comes first, and then it seems like the shorter ones come after. Just a fun Bible arrangement fact for you all. Romans is the longest, and it comes first. Um, but if you look at them in chronological order... It seems like Paul is more arrogant in the earlier letters and becomes more and more humble toward the end of his life. I have not arrived. All I know is that I am way worse than I thought I was. That's kind of Paul's message by the end of his life. He just becomes more real. So sometimes after a long while in church, we can become des desensitized, I think, to our 
really destitute and helpless, bankrupt estate before God. We can forget our utter need for Jesus. And we can begin to think that somehow we can take care of ourselves. Um, we can think we, we've become significant all on our own. Or we can think that we worked our way into our current spiritual state. And I think this is just another version, just a spiritual version of dreams don't work unless you do. I got myself here, okay? I did this. It's one more case of I practiced all these spiritual disciplines and that's why I'm closer to God. Closer than what? Closer than I was 10 years ago? Closer than my neighbor? So this has been a very long introduction, I admit it. Um, and I want to bring us to this passage in Luke chapter 18 that I think highlights the way we can become over time when we get shaped by our culture instead of shaped by Jesus. Um, or when we get shaped by our shoulds or our own expectations that we put on ourselves or the world puts on us rather than being shaped by Jesus. And so you can turn there with me now. Luke 18, we're going to start in verse 9. I love how this starts. <laughs> verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We're going to stop there. So we're getting real about getting real. And my question is, which of the two people in this parable do each of us resemble more? Because some might say that there isn't really very much to fault the Pharisee for here. He's doing his due diligence. He is following what's set out for him in the law in the Jewish law, in the Torah, in the Hebrew Bible, he is doing what he is commanded to do according to the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, it's only because we here in this room have had centuries of teaching in the Christian church that we would even think of the Pharisee as a bad guy. Who thinks of Pharisees as bad guys? Pharisees have only become the bad example to us because of centuries of teaching from Jesus in the New Testament. In Jesus's time, what he's doing here would have been shocking. 
a Pharisee would have been given the utmost respect. They were looked up to. They would always be seen as the righteous ones in any story. The Pharisees' positive character was a given here. It would have been assumed by Jesus' audience. And as for the tax collector, he would have been seen as the exact opposite. He's a traitor. He's a thief. That's what a tax collector was. So let's do a tiny, tiny comparison of the two men as Jesus presented them. The Pharisee has this very lengthy prayer. And in it, he compares himself to other people. He thanks God, but at no point is he giving God credit for anything. Basically, he is, he's not giving God credit for his good fortune or for his works. The way he speaks, it seems like he's mostly sitting there saying, Congratulations to me for being on my best behavior, Lord. He thanks God, but he's like patting himself on the back. I'm so good. And he lists out his accomplishments and he shows them. He, he says to God, I'm doing above and beyond what's required of me. So it's, it's not really that he's only doing what's in De- Deuteronomy. He's doing above and beyond. He fasts twice a week when they were only required to fast on the Day of Atonement, one day a year. And he's fasting twice a week. What's that? 104 times a year. <laughs> Instead of one. And then the tax collector, on the other hand, is standing far away. His prayer is short. And he only says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's an obvious difference between these two. And there's a contrast between self-righteousness and spiritual poverty. One of them is pretentious. And the other one is very self-aware and genuine. He's real. One is pious and putting on a show. And the other one is honest. And this is where Jesus says a shocking thing. Because the Pharisee would have been seen as the righteous one to everyone in his audience. But Jesus says that this thieving, traitorous tax collector is the one who's walking home justified. The sinner is the one who will be exalted, while the religious leader is the one who will be humbled. I don't know about you, but I would like to be exalted. (laughs) I'd rather be in the position to be lifted up than to be told to sit down. There's another story Jesus tells at a banquet in Luke chapter 14, four chapters before this, And he says, someone came and sat in the seat of honor and then was asked to move lower. Imagine showing up at a wedding and you like go sit at the bride and groom's table. And then you're told, um, you're actually at table 17 in the back by the bathroom. You're with catering, um, I don't want that to be me. I love how Eugene Peterson phrases, paraphrases this in Luke 14 in the message. He says, if you walk around all high and mighty, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. 
So thinking about our parable and the Pharisee and the tax collector, I have a few practical questions for us to ask ourselves about being real with God. And I just want to say at this point, we talked about how humans hurt each other, right? It's true that it is not always safe to be real with every other person around us. I don't think that that means we should have our guard up all the time. But when we are real with other people, we have to recognize that we can get hurt. I still think it's worth doing. I still think that it's worth being who Jesus made us to be and walking with integrity and being the same person in every sphere of life and not putting on a mask. But not every person is a safe person. So when I say all of this about getting real, I'm talking about with God because he is the safe place. And he doesn't reject us or harm us when we get real with him. So that's why I've chosen this passage where it's two men who are sitting in their prayer time in the temple. And, and how do they act before God? Not just other people. How do they act before God? So let's think about the Pharisee and the tax collector. My number one question for us is what is our posture with God? So if we remember the Pharisee, he stood by himself, but he also was like looking around at other people. The tax collector stood by himself, but he stood at a distance. He wouldn't come near. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he's beating his chest. What's our posture with God? Number two, what do our prayers sound like? What do our prayers sound like? My daughter asks me, how, how do I pray? And I try to tell her, there's no magic words. You're just talking to God. You don't even have to say, dear God. You can say, hello, Jesus. There's not a magic formula. Jesus lays out some ideas for us in scripture. The Bible shows us some ideas of how to pray. But there's not, a, not magic words. How do we pray? What do they sound like? Do our prayers bring genuine gratitude to God? Do they admit our desperate need for him? Or do our prayers sound like uh, self-congratulations? Or do our prayers sound like attempts to look holy or sound holy or be holy? One scholar points out that the tax collector in this passage, he doesn't actually say a sinner. He says, the sinner. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And I believe wholeheartedly that when we receive Jesus, he covers us with his blood. What he sees is his perfect son when he looks at us. When God looks at us, he sees the perfect Jesus covering us. But... 
So I'm, I'm saying that we don't maybe we maybe don't need to like take on the identity of the sinner. I am the sinner, the only sinner in the world, right? But I think that it can be tempting to see ourselves as deserving or earning of mercy and grace after a period of time. When we pray, do we recognize that we would have nothing and be nothing without Jesus? My third question for us is, when we come before God, are we competing or comparing? Because the tax collector can't even look up from the floor in his prayers. He's not looking at anybody else in the room, but the Pharisee, by pointing out this tax collector in his prayer, is obviously not keeping his eyes on the Lord. He's comparing himself to others. He's competing with others. And in his mind, he is winning. I'm the winner. Look at me. I'm better than, rob- than robbers, adulterers, evildoers, and that tax collector. I'm winning. And I'm reminded of somebody else from the Bible. I'm reminded of Jesus and Peter's interaction toward the end of the Gospel of John. Peter has denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion. He denied following him. He's denied being friends with Jesus. He's denied even knowing Jesus at all. And now, post-resurrection, Jesus has come back to life. Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And he asks Peter this three times. And Peter says, yes, yes, I love you. I love you. And Jesus says, feed my, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Um, and we could have a whole teaching on that whole interaction, right? But this is what interests me. In John 21, verses 20 through 22, this is what happens. Then Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want to, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Peter's having this healing, redemptive interaction with Jesus after denying him. And then he turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John. And he says, well, what about John? What are you going to do with John, Jesus? And Jesus says, what, what I'm doing with John is not your concern. You follow me. Peter, even in this moment, is wondering about someone other than himself. Now, at the beginning of this message, I asked us to think about which of, which of the people in the parable we resembled most if we resembled the tax collector, if we resembled the Pharisee. What I did not ask any of you to do is to think about which one of them resembles your neighbor more or which one resembles the person sitting next to you more or which one resembles the person working at the bank more or the library or your kid's school 
Because we all probably can think of somebody in our life who seems like a Pharisee, who seems like they're always looking down their nose at other people. And we might even know a tax collector or two. We might be in this space where it's very hard for us to get real. Maybe we've been hurt a lot of times and it's hard to get real with other people. And and that even makes us hesitant to get real with God. And so maybe there are people in your life you can think of who are like the tax collector, who they may seem full of sin. They may seem like a thief on the outside, but somehow you can see in them this unapologetic need for Jesus that they admit to. And maybe you struggle, struggle to admit that need for Jesus. But being real is not about comparison and it's not about competition. And so Instead of, instead of saying, what about John? Maybe all of us should think about ourselves today. Because being real is about opening our hearts fully to God. It's about bringing our own desperate need to him. It's about admitting that we are insufficient on our own. We are helpless without him. My watch band here, um, it says genuine leather on the inside. But if I really think about it, um, I don't know. I'll, maybe some, is anybody a, a leather expert? Um, I don't really know all of the properties or the signs that make something real. I don't know all the tests to run to figure out if, uh, what what it says on my watch band is true, that it really is genuine leather, or if I'm just trusting a company who's saying something is real. It didn't come with like a certificate of authenticity. I could have totally been duped. Maybe it's not real leather. For a, another example, I'm not a jeweler. I don't know what to look for in a diamond. I know that I could Google search what to look for in a diamond, but I don't personally know what to look for. I wouldn't be able to tell you the differences between what a diamond looks like or a white sapphire. I wouldn't even be able to tell you like what a mined diamond looks like versus one that was grown in a lab. I really couldn't tell you the difference. But somebody who's an expert would. God is an expert. We may spend a whole lot of time performing and posturing and comparing and competing with the people around us. And maybe we don't even realize we're doing it. Maybe we think we're doing something great. Like I'm fasting twice a week, like this Pharisee. I bring my whole tithe. I'm doing all the things, Lord, above and beyond the things that you've set out in your law for me. But God knows, God knows how to detect the counterfeit. God knows when something or someone is fraudulent. And God wants what's real from us. Now, he's not content to just leave us in our messy, sinful state forever. He doesn't leave us where we are without transformation. But the transformation is not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. 
So the more we try, the harder we try to earn it or to deserve it. The more we try to meet God's every expectation of us, I think that can pull us further away from what God wants to do inside of our lives because we can end up becoming fake or becoming a performer for God instead of being real and open and honest. As I conclude today, there's a children's story that some of you may be familiar with. It's called the Velveteen Rabbit. And it's it's a little creepy. <laughs> um, I don't particularly like that there's a character named the Skin Horse. What does that mean? Um, maybe I just need to research, like, older toys. Maybe a skin horse isn't scary. <laughs> I don't like the title, though. But in this story, there's a child who has many toys in his room. And one of them is this small velvet rabbit. And the rabbit wants to know what it means to be real. And the oldest toy in the family, named the skin horse, he tells the rabbit that real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. And I just want to remind us today that we are real. We are not God's playthings. We were made to be loved by God. And we were made to love him in return. He has already loved us so much that we've become real. He's already transformed us into something real. We are not his toys. And God is the safest place the only truly safe place in all the universe to bring our most difficult questions, our suffering, our fear, our doubt. And it's in those moments of desperation and honesty that God meets us and he begins to lift us up. Instead of needing to be humbled, go sit at a lower table, please. It's in those moments that Jesus exalts us and lifts us. When King David was fleeing from his home because his son Absalom was chasing him down to kill him, imagine your son chasing after you to kill you. David wrote in Psalm 3, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. When we bring everything to the feet of Jesus, he's the one who can lift our heads. Even in the worst times, even if in the wilderness, even in the desperate places. And if we can't be real with Jesus, if we have to put on a performance for him. How can we ever be real with one another or have genuine connection with our church body, with ourselves, with our spouse, with our kids? 
has to start with us being real with God. So we're going to sing a worship song together, and I'm going to pray for us today. And as I pray, um, I just want you to be thinking about how this might apply to you. And then we'll sing together. I'll invite the worship team back up right now. Um, And just take the time during this last song to reflect. And to, if you haven't been getting real with God, get real with God. Take a moment to think about your posture with God. Think about what your prayers sound like. Think about whether you've done any competing or comparing. And instead of worrying about John over there, let's think about ourselves and let's be honest and open with God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you told this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We thank you that you were constantly... um, including people who seemed like they shouldn't be included. We thank you that you um, you could see a thief, a thief and a traitor coming to God in open sincerity and honesty, and you could say, this is the man who will be justified. Lord, lead us into your safe space where we can pull off the masks. We can admit to you all our struggles and doubts and fears. And Lord, you can tell us who we really are. We want to be identified by you. We want you to define who we are. So, Lord, we offer our hearts to you today. Speak to us. Heal us. Tell us the truth where we might believe a lie, where we might be performing or comparing. Lord, speak to us each individually about who you've made us to be. And may we walk in power by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are a safe harbor. Thank you that you offer us life. We worship you. We adore you. And this morning, we give you ourselves. Help us to get honest with you. Thank you for receiving us and accepting us as we are and caring enough about us to transform us into something more. Thank you that we can be simply ourselves and then you make us into more than ourselves because we have your spirit. 
Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to you. Speak to each one of us in your holy name as we sing and we honor you today. Amen. <laughs>